Hi, I'm Beth Fuller, and you're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast. I know the world can feel intimidating or scary at times, but I'm here to tell you it doesn't have to be. Through the lens of food, we can learn so much about one another, celebrate our differences, and maybe eat some tasty food along the way. Are you ready to do this? I know I am. So let's go on a food adventure together right now. Hey everyone, you're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast, and I'm your host, Beth Fuller, and this, this is episode 14. All right, as you know, don't take notes. I've taken notes. Go on my website, elizabethrfuller.com. Do you want to support the podcast? Let's work together. I'm a professional food and product photographer. Go on my website, check out my portfolio, shoot me an email. Do you want to be on the podcast? Shoot me an email. Let's go on a food adventure at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram. Let's go on a food adventure. And email me all your questions. I'm loving them. They're so much fun. I'm having a blast. I hope you're having a blast. All right, let's do this, guys. I'm like pumped about what we're going to talk about today because I think I can say for all of us that I have be like, there's COVID fatigue. And then there's like beyond COVID fatigue. And I think I'm like so far beyond what COVID fatigue was that we need a new name for it. Um, I miss traveling so, so, so much. I miss people. I miss hanging out with my friends and family and hugs. But I really, really miss traveling. It is something that is like ingrained in who I am and just experiencing new experiences and new cuisine and cultures and just being with in new environments and with new people. I just, I crave it constantly. So today our episode is all about food adventures when you travel. And I have an incredible guest who has done an extensive amount of traveling, most of it by himself, which I, my hat is off to him and I can't wait to dive into his stories and his experiences, but I myself am an avid traveler. I, at 19, literally spun a globe, put my finger on it, ended up in the ocean and did it again. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to Ireland. My mom was like, I'll give you a thousand dollars, get your passport, get a work visa and go. And go. So I picked Ireland because um, they spoke English. I could legally drink. And the guys were cute. I mean, let's be honest. So <laughs> I convinced one of my best girlfriends, Lisa, to come with me. And we lived in Ireland for a summer. Um, it was incredible. There was, and after, and I'm not going to get into all of the crazy stories, maybe someday, one day, but it really sparked like that urge then in myself to continue to travel. After that, I moved to Southern California. I lived in LA and then in San Diego for a handful of years. And when I was there, I was traveling down in the Baja, in Mexico, you know, all over the US on the, on the West coast. And since then, now I have made it an effort to travel at least once a year, if not twice a year. And I really, really try to go to new places. Um, I've been to South America. I've been to most of all of Central America at this point. Um, I, I, you know, doesn't matter where I've been to. I've been to a lot of places, uh, and I'm, and I try when I go to like really experience 
the food culture while I'm there. Like one of my things that I always do no matter where I go is I try to do a food tour. Hopefully it's done by a local. And if we can like swing in like a market of some kind, sign me up. And by that, I mean like in a lot of countries, they have like open air farmer's markets, even in the wintertime, and they might be underneath um, a structure. But like going with a local and experiencing that with them through their eyes, it's amazing. Or I try to do even a cooking class sometimes. And if I can loop in a market tour with a cooking class, I mean, it's very food centric in my world. But I feel like you really get to know the people and the culture that much better when you're eating their most version of their authentic food. You know, not like, oh, I'm in Mexico, let me just find a taco. No, 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 no. Like, let's go figure out where the masa comes from, how the tortillas are getting made, who's making them, you know, where's the queso fresco coming from? It, it just, it, it makes, to me, the experience that much more meaningful. And it's not just about eating the food, it's now about having the conversations that kind of bring you back into the moment of when you ate the food. Anyway, I digress. So let's dive into a couple of listener questions, shall we? From Colin on Instagram, what is your favorite trip? Oh, this is like picking a favorite child and I don't have children. Yeah, I don't know if I can pick just one. So I'm going to try desperately. Man. Okay. So there's a couple, but I think one of my all-time favorites because it was our honeymoon, but also because um, it was the one of the longest trips that I was able to take or have been able to take in a long time. And that was Todd and I went to Scotland and then Italy for three weeks and traveled all across Italy. And it was incredible. And the other thing that I loved about it was we decided to do it in the total off season for both places. So we went pretty much the entire month of January that year and it was quiet. We got to experience the the areas, the towns in the most beautiful and authentic way. Sure, going during the high seasons or going during the warmer months or going at the time, you know, when certain things are in bloom or, or whatever is wonderful. And don't get me wrong, you, you should travel when you can travel and take full advantage of, of whatever experiences you want to have. But going in the off season to a lot of these locations, it, it was like you didn't have to wait in line for anything. You were able to get in and out of the museums without being hassled. You know, I thought that was awesome. And one of the things we did while we were in Italy, which um, I highly recommend doing, is there's an app that, okay, so there's the guy Rick Steves, right, on PBS. <laughs> Just Stay with me for a second. And he has an app where it's all these self-guided tours through different cities and towns, um, kind of all over the world. So we took advantage of a handful of them. We, Whenever we were in a new town, like say we were in Rome and we stayed in a little neighborhood, um, really like our flat, we rented apartments the entire time when we were in Italy. So our flat was um, right next to Trastevere, and we did two walking tours, one in the Jewish ghetto and one in Trastevere. And it was fabulous because, I mean, you definitely, if you can and you plan it right, hire a local, have them take you around. 
we also did that with my cousin Maria, who is from Rome and lives in Rome. And that was fabulous. Allora. And like she would have a cigarette in one mouth and one hand, a, a cup of espresso in another hand, slug back the espresso, smoked the cigarette, looked at me and was like, allora. The entire, I mean, I know this is not funny to anyone else, but there's a handful of people who are listening who will understand this. But she, she is a little pistol. She is a little older and she goes a million miles an hour and she showed us every site in Rome that you needed to see all before lunch. <laughs> we met at like 10 a.m. And it was like for a few hours, just zipping around Rome all on foot. And she, she was fabulous. Lots of espresso was had that day. Um, but anyway, the Rick Steves thing I thought was kind of cool. And it was one of the first times we took advantage of it. And we also used it the, he has a few different museum tours that we um, utilized it in. So rather than buying, and we did we did buy a couple of times the, you know, those handheld sets that you can get in the museum. And then like you click the button when you walk up to painting number 14 and then it explains the Venus de Milo or whatever. But with his, you know, it was free and we decided to try it a few times. We did it at the Uffizi and we did it at some other museum in Venice and both times it worked out great and we saved a little bit of money probably spent it on vino somewhere at aperitivo but it was fabulous um so I highly recommend doing that but yeah I, I mean I could talk about a lot of trips that I've taken but I think that's probably the one that like stands out the most that I feel like I need to I, yeah there's so many more though but okay I'll stop I'll stop I'll stop one more question come on so Jaden from Arizona asks, when you rent a car in a foreign country, do you get the insurance? I've got a great story for you, Jaden. So not only do I always get car insurance when I'm um, like the extra protection when I'm in the foreign country, but also I always get trip insurance if it's a big trip. Like if I'm flying to say Denver for a few days to visit family or whatever, no, I'm not going to get trip insurance. But if I'm going somewhere that's like a destination destination, not that seeing my family, <laughs> no offense, family in Denver, you're a destination too. But I think you guys all know what I mean. Like if I'm going down to Costa Rica for a week or 10 days, I'm getting trip insurance for that for a myriad of reasons. But I always get the extra car insurance too when I'm at the rental car place, no matter what it costs. So one time Todd and I, we went to the Grand Caymans and we rented a car. And unfortunately we did not realize that they drive on the other side of the road there. So that was fun. And when we got the rental car, it was super cheap to rent this like, and it looked like this little smart car that had absolutely no bells and whistles. And I don't believe it had airbags. And so when we rented the car for like 10 days, I think it was like 200 or $300, super cheap. Okay, great. And we go to fill out the rest of the paperwork and the guy was like, do you want the extra insurance? And I said, well, what would the cost be? And he's like, it's like a thousand dollars. I'm like, oh my God, like this, you know, and as my mom says, in for a penny, in for a pound. And I was like all right, you know, Todd's like, we should do it. Like they drive on the other side of the road. I'm like, you're absolutely right. Like, let's do it. Gave him my credit card. We did it. We were driving for 
Um, and it was me who did the majority of the driving just because I feel a little more comfortable doing it. Todd was a great navigator. That's just what we decided. No radio on. We didn't have the radio on the entire 10 days because I it literally, and there's so many roundabouts <laughs> when you're trying to get from the airport. I mean, it's a small island, but my God, they love a good roundabout. So, and you're driving on the wrong side of the road and the driver's seat is on the other side of the car. And it's just, it's so confusing. And we, we did fine. We weren't really driving after dark. <laughs> either because we were both so nervous and like god forbid you had like a glass of wine or a cocktail or beer at dinner like we were super diligent i mean neither one of us drinks and drives but like really really extra careful about it because i just didn't trust myself to even have like a glass and a half of anything and then try to get behind the wheel on a side of the road that i'm not normally familiar with so one day we were driving to go snorkeling at this like little beach that we found that was known for these wild sea turtles and whatever. And sure enough, we got into a massive car accident. Somebody rear-ended somebody else and their car ricocheted across both lanes of traffic where we were traveling and T-boned us on my side, the driver's side, and like spun us around in a 360. It was so bad. The car was completely totaled. We were fine, we were okay, but if we didn't have that extra insurance, we would probably still be dealing with this, and this was years ago. So moral of the story, and like literally we were holding the one side of the car door, like we had to duct tape it pretty much back onto the car, and then we like put, 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 putted to the rental car place. I called them, I was like, you guys need to give us a new car, and the guy looked at us and he's like, oh, but you didn't get the insurance. I'm like, oh, yes, I did. And I showed him the paperwork and he's like, oh, okay, hold on. He's like, Marco, Marco, can you just get her another one of these? L literally. And like handed us the keys. We moved our crap from the one car to the other and took off. And it was super seamless and easy. So moral of the story, throw some money at it, get the extra insurance only because you never know what's going to happen. And in my world, I'd rather be much more safe than sorry, especially on a vacation where like, the last thing you want to worry about is then dealing with like that kind of crap, you know? So that's my suggestion, but you know, you do you, whatever you feel comfortable with, but I'm just sharing my experience with you. Okay. One more question. This comes from Carol from Instagram. She writes, I love trying to recreate meals at home that I had when I was traveling, but it never comes out the same. Do you have any tips? Hmm. Yes. So I don't know exactly what you're trying to make or where you've traveled to or, or anything like that, but I don't, I don't think I need to know. So I can just speak from my own experience, which is, and I'll use some examples. So one time I was in Mexico, I went down to Playa del Carmen a couple of times. And one time when I went, I did this really cool cooking class and fell in love. It was like this fish that got marinated in a chote paste with sour orange and then wrapped in a banana leaf and then you steam it and made all this other stuff with it and it was absolutely delicious. So because I did the cooking class, I got to see the ingredients that were in it and I went to a local market that was near where we were staying and I bought a handful of like the things that I didn't think I'd be able to really get 
here in the U.S., which one of those things was a chote paste, which turned out came in a one brick kilo that <laughs> resembled a kilo of, I don't know, some other substance that might be packed in a kilo form in a brick, if you know what I mean. So when I packed it in my suitcase, I wrote a note to the customs agent because I was like, I know, I know my shit's going to get opened and somebody's going to look at it in here and see like there's a brick and I had it wrapped in like a couple of different kinds of like plastic bags because it was like the last thing I want it's like this bright red spice paste and I was like if this explodes in my bag this is gonna be a night like all of the clothes will get there's no there's no takesies backsies once this gets on everything and I know my luck so I wrote a note to the customs agent that's probably going to go through my bag. And I was like, just so you know, this is not a brick of cocaine. It's a chote paste. Thanks so much for looking, you know. So, of course, I get home. Big note in the bag where the chote paste was and a customs, like, sticker. It wasn't even a note. It was a like, sticker. So that didn't make it home, needless to say. But... I think you could probably take that kind of stuff back, maybe if it was packed differently, or maybe the agent thought I, because I was being snarky, that he was gonna, or she was going to show me. I don't know. But my point is, if you fall in love with something that you're eating, the best thing you can do is either ask a question while you're still in the restaurant, because most of the time, People love having conversations about something you love like that. And you could ask, you know, I really, I want to be able to make this at home. Does the chef have any tips that I can try to do when I'm back home to, to try to recreate this as best as that I, I can? I, I've asked that a thousand times in a, in a bunch of countries here in the U.S., abroad, and I have never had anyone turn me down and not give me some sort of information because I'm not trying to steal their secrets. I'm really just trying to recreate the joy that this brought me. Um, so I would ask that if you can get some of the authentic spices where you are when you're traveling, I highly recommend doing that. And honestly, be gentle on yourself because it might not be exact, but that's okay. Maybe you'll fall in love with your, sorry, that was, if anyone heard the bumping and the shaking of the collar, that was all over um, my baby boy, my golden retriever, he literally, when I'm recording, he will lay on top of my feet at my desk and he like flops over sometimes. So a lot of times I'll edit out his noise, but I'm leaving it in this time because it's very endearing that he loves me that much that he has to lay on top of me. He's a hundred pounds while I'm recording and I can't move my feet or my arms. But anyway, I digress, sorry. So that's my tip. And the other thing too that we do a lot of times when we're traveling is I will pick up a cookbook and if it's in, a lot of times if I'm in a foreign country that English is not their first language, then I love to find a cookbook that might be in like say Italian and translated into English so I can read both because I love learning languages too. Um, so that could also help bring you back. And again, go explore the markets, the little markets in your town or towns near you or larger cities near you, because a lot of the ingredients that these little markets have, these ethnic markets, 
they're so true to, or as close as you can get to where you're trying to cook that region of food. And plus then you can have conversations with the people that own the markets. You can maybe learn something new that you didn't know and, and experience, you know, like I went to the Lebanese market two weeks ago and it was amazing. And so, and I went to a beautiful Asian market last week to cook, um, all the stuff for last week's, for this week's episode, sorry. I was like, what episode am I on? <laughs> it all blurs together sometimes. So uh, that would be my suggestion as well. I hope this helps. Okay, let's bring on our guest. <sighs> He's such a joy. You're gonna listen to him and you're instantly going to be relaxed and you're gonna fall in love with this guy. He is a lover of all fermented things from wine to beer to sake to breads, sourdough, pizza dough, you name it, if it's fermented, his hands will be in it and it will turn out delicious. I'm so grateful to call him family. He's a traveler that has no fears and just a beautiful soul. Please, please welcome to the show my cousin-in-law, Joe Pubert. Hey, buddy. How's it going? Good. I'm just hanging in there. How are you doing? Good. Good. You actually just got back from traveling yesterday, didn't you? I did. Yeah. Um, it was a nice little trip to, out to the East Coast. Um, got to see some family. Um, so it's always, always fun getting out there, but yeah. glad to be back with the uh, a little cat that I got a little while ago. So it's been Aww. nice. What, wait, what's the kitty's name? Uh, Willet. Oh, I love that. Hi, yes. Uh, named it after um, actually a bourbon company. Of course um, you did. Of course you did. Yes. It was after a bourbon company, but also kind of after the, uh, I guess, the old um, world and they're not old world. How would you say it? Uh, kind of the the history of the historical reason like at cats being at breweries, being at distilleries, yeah. being at yeah. wineries and kind mm -hmm. of looking after uh, the place for rodents and keeping all those um, uh, vermin away. Yeah. So. It's so fascinating. So I already kind of explained in the intro, which mm -hmm. everyone loves their intro. So I hope you enjoy yours when you listen back to this, who, uh -oh. how we know each other. And I mean, the whole, as you know, the theme of this, this episode is about travel and you, my friend, when it comes to travel, there is no one I admire more than you because you <laughs> are not just like, you don't just get the travel bug and like go just to, I don't know, New Mexico. Like you get the travel bug and you go. Like you, you're like, mic drop, I'm out. So I have to ask like, when, where was your first trip that you took? Uh, as as an adult or yeah. kind of like as, as a kid and experiencing Either stuff? one. That, I guess it doesn't really matter because whichever first trip you took was really kind of what fueled, I'm guessing, this need to continue to travel like you do. Sure. I don't know if it was, I don't know if my, maybe my parents built it into me or mm. they didn't even realize it, but maybe at a very young age between um, playing sports and traveling every single weekend and um, whether it just be driving down to, I grew up in Southern California. So driving down to uh, LA or San Diego or driving up North and being gone for, you know, 
being in the car for four or five hours playing a game and getting back in the car. So traveling that in that sense. And then uh, traveling across country when I was maybe in the third grade with my mom and my brother, my sister and a dog in a car um, <laughs> and doing little stops along the way, whether, yeah. um, whether it be at a, place that my mom wanted to detour at or <laughs> something she thought would be fun for us and to learn from uh but so you guys have maybe like such a good attitude about it we did the same thing growing up and it was like like if you could see the pictures of me and my little brother our heads are down we're like please don't make our walkmans are on you know we're like don't, <laughs> don't make don't make us take another picture at a roadside attraction so exactly are, yeah but you have a way better attitude than we did about it yeah, so I, I guess maybe it started there, but I didn't, I didn't even actually realize it till later mm. on in my life. Um, but I guess kind of more the first major trips solo um, were, uh, I guess, senior year in high school. Uh, a buddy, a good childhood friend, and another one, we went to Japan because he, his parents, or his dad had been in Japan. Um, so we went to Japan for two weeks and took the bullet train up and down, uh, the country. And that was a blast, the but, two of you? uh, there was, uh, three. So it was, uh, there was two, two buddies. Wow. So one, um, one that had spent a little time over there and then another one. Um, and yeah, uh, it was. I was, but then again, I was, it was a different point in my life and I didn't realize kind of what I was doing and yeah. I, my brain was moving too fast um, and thinking about other stuff at that time. So I didn't appreciate a lot of uh, aspects of the culture and what I was seeing at that yeah. age. Yeah. Um, and it was one of the main uh, reasons for me wanting to go back there um, later on. And I guess that was the first one and then kind of did some. I did uh, Denmark, or Sweden and Spain um, to play soccer and to do a study abroad uh, in college. And it kind of just, I guess it just kind of went off from there. Yeah. So incredible. And can you talk to me and our listeners a little bit about the last large trip you took, which is, it's so humbling to me that you you did it because it's something I have always dreamed of doing and you did it. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, I, I was, there's a, there's a lot of kind of things uh, that, that worked to my favor and that was, it was the right point in my life to, to do it. Um, and I'd been kind of thinking about it for a year or so. Um, and I was fortunate to be in a, a good situation where I was saving up some money. Um, I had been brewing beer professionally uh, in the Bay Area, and and I had been living at my sister's place and uh, <laughs> saved up some money. And, um, and that's she wasn't what here. a little brother does. That's exactly yeah. what you need to do. You, you, I mean, I would live. I would love to live at your sister's place. So yeah, take advantage uh, of it, man. Yep. It was, it was good. Um, but I didn't, I didn't really feel fulfilled. Um, and I was missing out on something. Um, I was kind of getting tired or dragged down from the beer industry and, uh, the culture and a lot of things. And I wanted something more. Um, and I had, I had always been a huge fan and advocate for Anthony Bourdain and, uh, travel shows, mm -hmm. uh, for a long, long time. And it was pretty much all I watched. Um, 
and I started talking with a lot of different folks about certain things and making notes and kind of like a year out, I had looked into this program called the workaway.info, um, kind of similar to, I guess a lot of people were doing something called woof. Mm. Um, and basically it's a, a program that has a huge database, uh, all around the world. And they have folks that kind of advertise, um, depending on what kind of country you are, you're in, and it kind of profiles uh, different kind of sectors of what you want to maybe do. So I would type in something um, in a country that I was interested for maybe a show that I watched, uh, mm-hmm. let's say Japan, Czech Republic or something like that. And I'd said like bread, mm-hmm. you know, wine, beer, um, yeah, it agriculture. Boxes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so like stuff would come up. And, you know, I'd kind of scroll down late at night after work or something. And I'd be like, oh man, that looks rad. And they would show photos and whatnot. So I'd, I'd slowly started like kind of like a little box or a little profile of saving things. Almost like a Pinterest board kind of. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And, um, kind of making mental notes and check boxes to, Mm -hmm. if it ever to come up, um, to kind of look back into this. And sure enough, uh, it came up and the same buddy that I went to Japan with the first time, Mm -hmm. uh, his dad had come over and visited, um, the States and he had visited me one day at work and he had just retired and he goes, Oh, you know, if you want to come back, come back, see me. Um, I want you to come back. He was still in Japan. He was still in Japan. Yeah. And he had just retired and a lot of the Japanese culture, uh, the older generation, at least they don't don't travel as much um or they have they haven't so there was a lot of places throughout japan he had never been so he goes if there's any place you want to go you know let's go like come over and see me mm-hmm. and i said you know um brain fart for his name uh uh okay. kazumi yeah kazumi oh, uh I, he, I said yeah i said kazumi you, you, you watch it you know I, i've been known to take take up people on these offers <laughs> and uh sure enough uh the next thing I know that was my first stop and it was a great um kind of a f- first stop and baseboard for the rest of my trip and so, I didn't really have any okay go ahead sorry I didn't have any plan as far as as far as how long I wanted to travel for uh, or how long I wanted to be gone um I didn't want to travel in that sense I felt it was going to limit me uh, in a lot of, a lot of instances. Um, but did you plan uh, out like the, the places you wanted to go along the way? No, not really. I had a, I had a, I had a vague idea. Um, <laughs> so you're like, I'm going to Japan. That I got yeah. that. I'm going to hang until I don't want to hang no more until I find the next spot. Exactly. Because you know, you don't, you never know who you're going to run into as far as, um, people, um, and job, job opportunities, maybe um, or complete change. Um, I had left my job. I had saved up money. Um, the only thing that I had, I'd kind of thought I, you know, like I had said to the work away stuff, I had kind of pinged some places I thought I could maybe travel to eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, but nothing was, I had no plane tickets after Japan, um, or anything like that. The only thing that I had was my mom was pushing me to get some kind of, uh, insurance, um, for different countries. So I, you know, checked a couple of boxes of said like, okay, maybe I'll be here. Maybe I'll be there. Um, but I just had basically a month 
I think you get a month in Japan as okay. a U.S. citizen. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I don't think I booked my my next flight to Thailand until maybe a week and a half out from my month in Japan. Holy shit, man. So, okay, can you tell everybody exactly, just highlight big, big picture view of the countries you went to on this trip that we're going to keep talking about? Sure. So I, I started off in, uh, I guess, Asia, um, Japan, mm-hmm. and then kind of worked my way down south um, and did the, uh, the Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam, and then went over to South Korea for a work away mm-hmm. and down into Thailand, not Thailand, sorry, uh, Taiwan, mm-hmm. um, Taiwan back over to Malaysia and Singapore area. Mm-hmm. And then up into kind of like Eastern Europe, Greece, uh, Georgia, Armenia, and then up into kind of central Germany, Amsterdam, France, uh, England, Scotland, uh, all those uh, places, the UK. Yeah. Yeah. And then you came uh, back to the US. Yep. And then back into France, <laughs> to the US. And it was right around Christmas time. So I thought that was Christmas had always been a huge, huge thing for my family. So yeah. I thought it'd be good to be back around Christmas. Of course. So was this almost an entire year? Yes. Okay. Yeah, entire year. Yep. <laughs> so that's what, <laughs> like that, I'm sitting here like, in to- that's why when I, I started this conversation was I'm in total awe of you because of exactly the, the, the places you went <laughs> with absolutely nothing planned. Like people are going to listen to this and their jaws are going to be on the floor. Like every single person you tell the story to, because it's amazing, amazing what you did. You don't think it is. I know you're just like the most chill dude on the planet. You're like, yeah, I just did it. I was just, you know, whatever. Yeah. No one else can do that, Joe. <laughs> like without like <laughs> a production team planning things, yeah. fixers, like no one just is like, eh, I'm just gonna hang out. Like yeah, I it's mean, weird. I, yeah. I have the ability to do it. I'm traveling, but not, if I'm back in the, the the states or something like that, like I like to have not to say a schedule, but I'm not to say willy nilly, but like it's easier for me to do it when I'm traveling and I know I have obligations or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, I feel like I, I, I was able to do so much more um, without having any obligations or a time period Yeah. and stay in certain places longer, meet people, uh, as weird as it may seem, save more money um, <laughs> because the people that I was, I was staying with or, you know, the networking that I was able to do Yeah. Um, that did immense amount of things. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was a good time and it's, it's hard to think about. It's hard to to graphs uh, or to look back on. Uh, yeah. Did you do odd jobs while you were floating around from place to place to make a little money on the side or? I did. And I didn't, um, I didn't, there was through work away. There's some programs that advertise for money and then a lot of them don't. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more, more cultural experience. And that's what I was most concerned with. Um, but I was able to pick up um, money in certain places like South Korea um, a little bit of Eastern Europe and uh, yeah, a, a few places you're able to, whether it's English lessons, um, cooking, uh, mm-hmm. little, little agricultural things mm-hmm. as well. No, that's awesome. And the other thing that people need to understand, cause I know the answer to this, which uh, uh, as somebody who overpacks for anything, <laughs> 
I can't, I can't again wrap my head around. Can you tell people exactly what you brought? Because I'm not like you don't need to say like two pairs of underwear or toothbrush anything. Sure. Like, what did you pack your stuff in for this excursion? Yeah, it was. I had I had asked a couple of folks that were traveling or had traveled before me that had done like a month or two and. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up taking a 55 liter um, kind of like Osprey backpack. Uh-huh. Um, and it was just one of the ones that you can get from like REI or any of your big sporting goods um, that had basically uh, a big, you know, a big kind of pouch on the back. You, you, you carry it on your backpack or you're on your back. And then there was another separate backpack that you can detach off the, off of that and wear in your front. Um, so yeah it was it was a pretty small pack um but i knew i knew for the most part what i wanted was thinking about the time of year in japan it was towards right around it was in march when i first left march uh yeah and it was still fairly chilly so Mm -hmm. i needed to pack uh you know some layers things that were warm to me and then anything else after that, you know, depending how long I could go, I knew I could find cheap clothes somewhere. You know, I knew I could ditch clothes. I knew I could um, get something else. Um, but I knew I needed, you know, a decent pair of shoes and some layers to start out with. I just, I can't, I bring my entire wardrobe with me when I'm traveling. And the fact that you're like, eh, backpack, it's like amazing <laughs> race style, but on steroids. Like it's yeah. Insane. I'm, I'm like, I'm gonna just keep saying I'm so humbled by you. Were you nervous to travel alone because you did this solo this entire trip? No, and I'll bring up one more thing about the luggage thing. Yeah. Oh yeah, um, please. Also, what I had kind of thought about in certain areas was not necessarily wanting to stand out. Mm. So I didn't want a big, uh, bulky pack. Uh, you know, and my sister, whenever I talk with somebody else about traveling. I didn't want, you know, something with wheels that was wheeling down the streets of, mm-hmm. you know, some kind of country and I could be profiled in some kind of uh, mm-hmm. scenario. Um, so I thought it was important always to have something kind of close to me and something that I could walk with a good amount of time. Um, because I did a lot of walking or just jumping on buses or sprinter vans that I needed to just be quick and to get on and get off. Um, so I, that was a, a, an important factor for me was thinking about luggage in this, in this standpoint of making it easy uh, no matter where I stayed or what I was doing. Mm, that's wicked smart. And then, sorry, you said the... Uh, oh, yeah. Were you uh, nervous? I mean, that kind of loops into thinking about mm, when you were no, traveling. No. No. For some reason, I didn't... I don't know. I, I didn't really think about it. Um, <laughs> it's kind of mm-hmm. weird. Um no, and yeah, I, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I, I, and I don't think I had any really scenario that that came up where I was I was nervous along the way um, as well. Um, I don't know. I think there's an important. Uh, uh, there's almost wherever you went, and whether it was you were eating something or um, taking uh getting in a van or in georgia they call them marshukas uh, and just having some not to say come bravado 
Um, but just having some kind of confidence, mm-hmm. um, rather than kind of standing around with the swivel on your head. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the, nothing, there's anything wrong with the camera on your, but just, you know, just standing out. Yeah. Um, trying not to look like a tourist, like a, like yeah. a total tourist. Right? Yeah. Cause you already um, don't look exactly like all of the people you're in all of these countries. So you, you know, you're not a native, but at yeah. least you don't look like. Uh, somebody with a selfie stick. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and so I, 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 I tried to fit in as much as I could. Um, and most places not being in, in one necessarily one de- destination for like one or two days. Um, but to mm-hmm. kind of really get in the grasp and taking a walk and walking quite a bit and just, uh, seeing how things were being done, what people were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, yeah, it helped. That's awesome. Do you want to answer some listener questions? Yeah. Okay. Oh. All right. So Jack from Instagram, and this, we kind of touched on this, but then you can actually probably add to the list. Jack from Instagram asks, what countries have you been to? Um, so maybe it's easier to say which ones you haven't been to at this point. <laughs> no, I, I, I guess I've, I've kind of just done like this. I mean, to me, it doesn't sound like all that exotic or whatnot. Um, there's a lot of places I'd, I'd still love to go to. You know, I, I didn't touch any really parts of Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't touch, I haven't done South America. Um, and uh, you know, you Russia. Yeah, yep. Russia. No. <laughs> yeah, go there's, visit there's Sarah Palin in Russia. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of places I haven't, I haven't uh, been to. What was important for me, I guess, uh, and a lot of this, maybe why I draped over a year was I wanted to spend a good amount of time wherever I was, mm-hmm. where I could kind of fully embrace and slow down. And mm-hmm. whether it was working with somebody or staying with a, a family, uh, that was super important to me. And I just felt like I learned that much more from the culture mm-hmm. and got to see a totally aspect of kind of a, a different way of life. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, that was huge. Um, and there were some places that I'd spent a lot more time like Vietnam. Uh, I met a guy in Cambodia. He says, you know, if you can stay for three months, stay for three months and you can either buy, I think three different passports. It's like for an American citizen, uh, Australians have something a little bit different. They can stay longer for a short or for a period of time, I mm-hmm. think. And you could either stay for like a free one for two weeks, you can stay for a month or you can stay for three months. Oh, wow. And the price in Cambodia at the um, concierge or whatever it was, it was like 40, yeah, the consulate was $45 or $65 between like one month (laughs) and three months. You're like, I'll just throw 20 more bucks at it. Yeah, I was like, well, I'm gonna stay three months. So sure enough, I stayed three months in, in, Vietnam and it was great. So mm-hmm. I had different experiences uh, throughout the, the travels by staying, being able to stay longer in certain places mm-hmm. like that, three months. Um, then some other places that would just, I, I did everything I could to stay longer, but they were just too expensive to stay. Yeah, no, I hear you. Um, well, this is a good tie-in. So mm-hmm. Micah from Facebook asks, how did you pick where you were traveling to? Um, so 
I guess it would be through food almost a lot, a lot through food and a lot of through, through cultures. Um, and it was watching, like I said, episodes of Anthony Bourdain growing up. Um, Mm -hmm. and then also kind of the industry that I was in, uh, which is, you know, processed and food and fermentation oriented Mm -hmm. and seeing, uh, fascinated and seeing similarities, uh, through production across, across the world. Mm-hmm. Um, that drove a lot to where I was going to maybe go to next. Mm-hmm. And then also just uh, word of mouth. I mean, once you start and you, and you, you get out there, if you're staying at, I highly also highly recommend staying at, at sometimes if you can, if you're comfortable with it, staying at hostels, mm-hmm. um, doing a workaway experience. Um, and I also did a program called couch surfing. Oh, sure. Uh, which, you know, it's, it's not for everybody for sure. No. Um, but I learned a lot through some of the folks that I met through couch surfing and whether it was, I was staying with them or if it was just a meetup for a coffee, some food, mm-hmm. uh, a hangout or whatnot. And talking through some of those folks and seeing, you know, experiences they had and where I possibly wanted to go next. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of drove a little bit, but I never really had one trip, I guess we, if we went back to the beginning, when mm-hmm. I was kind of talking about it, I always, always went to some place kind of logistically where it wasn't going to be super expensive, uh, as far as a plane flight, bus, any of those things, uh, super expensive rather than, uh, jumping from Japan to Paris, Right. Like, oh, I want to go here. It just, that wouldn't make any sense. Right. It'd be too expensive. Right. Yeah. You tried so, to go in like, um, where it, it not chronological, but like yeah. following the curves of the earth, like you were exactly, you weren't going to like to Dubai and then from Dubai to Kenya and then Kenya back to Paris. Like you were exactly. going, at, you were plotting a little line. Yeah. And so I, I would just do kind of, um, travel searches, uh, whatever country I was in. And if it was, if, my brain was ticking and I wanted to leave, then I would look at flights or look at bus trips. If it was a, mm. uh, a bus route mm-hmm. to where it would make sense next mm-hmm. and what prices looked like and just kind of go from there. And then all, then seeing if there was, you know, a work away or a couch surfing mm. possibility I could, I could tag along the way. Okay. So more listener questions. Yes. Carol from Arizona, just kind of near you, sort of, um, on, on the west side, uh, asks, what are your must-haves when you are traveling? Ooh, that's know, a good, good question. question, Carol. I know. <laughs> I'm glad she asked it because if she didn't ask it, I was going to ask it. Yeah. And uh, would you man. say an international plug? <laughs> no. <laughs> um <laughs> See, I don't know if it's like a, a downside, but like sometimes I just wasn't really thinking about about stuff like shit like that. Um, and it hit me a couple of times where I was like, "God oh, damn, I'm screwed." Or um, <laughs> what were you there? Saying? Like, what was one of the times you were like, "Oh shit, I should have brought." Blah. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of one of those. All right, rack your I mean, I, did, I definitely, I definitely didn't bring the uh, the plug um really that's europe more than anywhere like you desperately needed in europe yeah i think 
<laughs> there was, I looking back on it, yeah. uh, some of the stuff that I, I had with me and I didn't even realize that I was like, okay, I'll, I'll put this there. Um, as funny as it may seem, uh, yeah, we're layers, I guess, yep. to start out with clothing wise. Um, mm-hmm. Locks on my bags. I had little like TSA kind of like locks. Yeah. Um, Especially if you're staying in a hostel and stuff like that, you know. Yeah, hostel. And there's some weird, I mean, for the most part, I learned people are very, very friendly. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I I never really, I never, throughout my travel, I never really splurged and did any kind of expensive and nothing was ever really messed with my bags or anything. Mm -hmm. Um, People always wanted to chat and talk, but uh, locks came into play in a couple of places like Thailand, mm. um, where you definitely noticed your stuff was messed with um, from traveling on buses or something like that mm-hmm. underneath you. Mm-hmm. Um, so locks, and then I always had a um, surprise. I always had a jar of peanut butter for the most part with me. You're so American. I love it. <laughs> but I, the one place I was so angry because to this day I look back and. I just bought an, or I had a small tub of peanut butter and I was in Singapore and they took it out at the airport and they said I couldn't take, carry it. And I was like, yeah. it's not a liquid. Like, why can't I take this? They don't even uh, want and, chewing gum. No. Yeah. So I, uh, I always had a full smart, small tub of peanut butter with me and not that like <laughs> I didn't, you know, it last that peanut butter lasted me. It wasn't like I had peanut butter every single day and I wouldn't eat yeah. the food where I was going, but it was just like, a staple just in case something came up or right. I was hungry protein. Yeah. You're hungry yeah. enough. Yeah. I say same thing when I was in uh, living in Ireland, I uh, you could stick jar. your finger in it, your yeah. crackers, a fork, whatever. <laughs> a pe- like a banana. Doesn't matter. Exactly. Yeah. Everything matter. goes on peanut butter. We're Americans. Yep. We like peanut butter. It's who we are. Peanut all right. It is. Um, all right. Well, Carol pack some peanut butter. <laughs> yeah, peanut butter. <laughs> Don't get peanut. the international phone charger. <laughs> Joe says peanut butter. <laughs> Yeah, you don't, you don't, I mean, you don't need a phone chart. I mean, get off the grid, be out there. Right, right, know? yeah. You'll, don't take a picture. You'll, be all you'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, all right. Anthony from Chicago asks, what were your favorite things you have eaten while traveling? This is going to, this is going to be like oh, boy. your favorite child. I know. So you don't need to, no one's, no this one's is a whole separate, yeah, this I is know, a whole separate podcast. I know, Muffin. Podcast. I know, sweetie. Uh, um, the favorite okay so what was the favorite things i've eaten while traveling yeah mm-hmm. um <laughs> uh, yeah my, like, my brain it's do you know how you have like a you have, you have a you have a phone you have a phone yeah. like your phone you and just said you off like the, the grid i know uh-huh. yeah you yeah. you have like the scrolling button and all of a sudden you can just scroll all the way down you have all these photos that are just yeah. like flying through your head that's yeah. really like what it feels like right now and all this I flavor know. Um, so food has always been a big, like, a going back to the cultural thing, like Mm -hmm. there's always so many fascinating to me. It's like how these two things connect. Yes. Um, and then regionalities of these foods, um, and the experiences that are intertwined with them. A million percent. Uh, so each one has a completely different, different experience. Um, and I've had some wonderful food with, you know, in family scenarios that are really just touching into the heart and just mm. kind of make you tear up and mm. just think about life in a hugely different perspective. Mm. Um, 
in places like Vietnam and long elongated meals there and in Georgia, um, family scenarios that are just absolutely fantastic. And they, they just touch you in a completely different way. And the food is amazing on top of it. Uh, but then also, uh, I, am a huge advocate of, so in completely different contrast, dining with families and then also dining alone. Yeah. Big time. Um, it's a very popular thing in Japan and it's written about quite a bit. Uh, sometimes the people in the States think it's weird. You're like, Hey, who's this person sitting up at the bar, having a drink and a, some food by himself. Um, but a lot of the experiences, yeah, we're dining alone and, um, there were some fantastic noodles, um, oh. and in places such as, uh, Japan, mm-hmm. Vietnam and, um, ooh, yeah. The snails in Vietnam are fantastic. Uh, really? always How enjoyed, did they make them? always really enjoyed snails. So they would usually, there was a couple different sizes, um, and spelled, uh, whenever I tried pronouncing something over there, I feel like I was so damn close to saying what I wanted. And they, I, and I would, I would be, I feel like, and they would say, <laughs> Oh, this is what you mean. And I was like, that's what I said. <laughs> and so it, it's just, it's just, just spelled O-C. Okay. Um, and they, it's like op, but okay. they don't pronounce like the C, like oc, uh, it's op. So um, snails over there and mostly, and I think the central region um, are very popular. And usually there's just stir fried with oh, lots cool. of um, usually lemongrass, um, a little bit of uh, chili oil and spices. Mm. Um, and there's different sizing depending on what you want and how much work you want to do, but there's mm. little ones and you have toothpicks and literally you just, um, you know, kind of mm-hmm. pick them out and then slurp them. Uh, and there's different sizes and usually it's almost so people understand like dim sum style where like you get snails, you get some like little flat seated air crackers next to it. Mm. Um, and a couple other smaller side items. Uh, so those were fun. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of memorable experiences of noodles. Um, <laughs> I love yeah. noodles. Well, and like <laughs> noodles, you're eating noodles yeah. for like breakfast too. You're not just eating noodles at like lunch and dinner. No. It's noodles all day, all night. Like noodles yeah. all the time. Yeah. And a lot of the places uh, it was, I remember being in the, the northernmost region of Vietnam and there, I had been walking around uh, the night before and I was walking by a stall and there's this huge, huge pig. Mm. And I was like, Whoa. And it was just kind of in this, in this cage. And oh, no, you know, it, was was alive? This, it was alive. Oh geez. And, um, I had been walking around. Uh, I was just kind of got tried to get a layout of the town and walk wherever I was at and just people watch a little bit, but never staring, but just subtleties. And, yeah. um, the next morning, I always enjoyed getting up at the same time and, and seeing how people went to work each morning mm. and if they were eating, what they were eating, um, how they commuted and whatnot. And I walked by the same stall and the pig wasn't in the cage. <gasps> it had been, it had been butchered, killed. And, mm. uh, the guy was selling the parts and I was like, Oh boy, like in a small town like this, everybody is usually in a lot of the places they're cooking so fresh. Mm-hmm that they're using it you know they bought it at four o'clock five o'clock in the morning and then all these markets people are eating super early Mm -hmm. they're eating 
you know, six to eight in the morning is a prime time. So I knew that there was going to be some good pork products. And sure enough, it was like one of the best noodles that I've had. It was a, it was a pho dish and the, just the broth and the meat that was in, in this pho was just absolutely bonkers good. Oh, um, so jealous. It was so fresh, but, um, but unfortunately yeah, I, you met the pig the night before. So I did. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, I think there's, it's also very funny just talking about fun. I guess if people are listening to this, it, mm-hmm. there's so many times that, uh, you know, they think of pho as one thing. They like pho ga, pho bo, mm-hmm. and like meat or uh, chicken or, pho. Yeah. Or, yeah tofu. Veg. There's mm-hmm. so many regionalities to it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you can go down a wormhole and watch videos about most of these things, pho, banh mi, just talking about Vietnam, mm-hmm. a lot of places, Thailand has the same thing. There's so many variety of, mm-hmm. varieties of it. It is, it's like uh, tacos in Mexico or yeah. whatever. It's it's just like anything else. And it gets stereotyped too much into like one style. Totally. Try to, try to branch out if you can. Um, I mean, there's sour pho. I did a post about that and it blew my mind when I was in the Northern area. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, there's, there's fun branches off these food that are, that are really cool to learn about and yeah. to see how they came to be. And yeah, because it's so regional, like same thing here in the U.S., but I agree with you that it gets here in the U.S. When we think of Asian culture and Asian food, a lot of times, unless you're eating it really authentically, it's a watered, watered, watered down, yeah. stereotypical, generic, like you said, with pho, same thing with ramen. Ramen, yeah. there is a million variations of it when you go to Japan. Oh, yeah. Very, each like place can have a totally different style. Some places have corn, some places it's a miso broth, some places the noodles can change slightly, just slightly. Absolutely. And like, we don't realize it here in the U.S. Like we think, like you said, Vietnamese, pho, banh mi, the, the rice noodle salads. And <clears throat> when you go over there, it's just mind-blowingly different. And you yeah. eat amazing food, it sounds like. So your cousin, Todd, mm. in Massachusetts would Todd. like to, I know Toddy Toddington would like to for you to talk about the motorcycle floating story. Ooh. Yeah. Because it's a good uh, picture. And I'll post the picture. Okay. Yeah. It's, uh yeah, Vietnam's got profiled um uh, quite a bit. Um <laughs> if people have any other questions they want to ask me about other places, we can't totally. Right. Um but yeah that was that was a, a pretty epic day that uh, there's a popular loop up north called the Hajiang, mm-hmm. and I think it's X I A N G, and a lot of people will do the loop. Basically, it it's a it's the northernmost part of Vietnam, and basically you kind of almost do like a half moon around the top of the top portion of the country, kind of going along the the China Chinese border, and then kind of coming back down. And there is just some unreal views and motor biking um, up in that region and you can't do it in a day you have to uh, to get the most out of it you got to do it in like two weeks maybe um, so I had left uh, Hanoi one day and gone to my first destination um, this town that's all called Mai Chow I think it was mm. and I'd stayed there for a couple of days and then sure enough a storm came in and was raining for uh, 
maybe uh, a day and a half, two days. And this and is a place we're not go. talking like drizzle. I mean, it's like downpour rain. Yeah. Yeah. There, I mean, there's so many, yeah, a lot of rice paddies up in this area and yeah. it's, it's meant to rain there. So I was like, oh, I'll stay here for another night, stayed there for another night. And then still raining the next day, stayed another one. And then I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta go. I just gotta keep going there. I'd spent a lot of days on the motorbike, just going through rain and whatnot. And it's fine. But there's basically like one road, two roads into this town, one coming from Hanoi, one coming from the North. And basically it's, it's like a fork. And I was coming out of town and there's this long line of buses that were trying to leave the town and then some were coming back and I'm like, what's going on? So I'm starting to go by these buses and sure enough, I get to the bend in the road and there's a river that had overflowed and just taken out the road going up North. Mm. And it was probably, I don't know, maybe a hundred yards long and six feet deep. And so I couldn't, I couldn't go North. There's literally one road going up there. And then the other road goes back to Hanoi and you there's, you know, there's, you're in this rural area, there's no real, you know, news communication or, people calling back to Hanoi saying like, Hey, you got to turn your buses around. You, you, they can't come into this town. Right. So I'm sitting there on, on the bike being like, I don't want to go back to Hanoi, I, but there's no way of telling when this, you know, river's going to. Can we pause for a second? How did yeah. you get a motorbike? <laughs> <laughs> I, I bought, I bought it as a, uh, as kind of one of my birthday presents, you know, like two weeks in when I was in the Vietnam for my 30th birthday. Um, <laughs> And my, uh, my, my sister and my family probably hates me because they gave me some money for, a, a ex- for traveling. Yeah. And sure enough, I turned it into a motorbike, which wasn't expensive over no, there. No, and then you sold it. Yeah. So it's not like. Yeah, I sold it for yeah. almost what I got it for. So there you go. I bought okay, it when so... I was in the South okay. um, in Saigon and I'd driven up North all the way. And. Uh, okay. So, so we're yeah, back at the river. So we're at the back river. At the river. Yep. With the and... motorbike. Yeah, with the motorbike, and I was kind of I had this Google Fi phone um, that I was using. You can use like offline uh, mm-hmm. Google Maps, and I'm scanning it and looking at roads how I can get around, and I can't. And I'm just kind of sitting there staring at this this debacle and just all these people what they're doing. And sure enough, I don't know if this had, if this had happened before, but they have these like these janky wooden rafts that were like long planks. All there was probably three or four of them of different sizes. And this guy looks at me and he says something in Vietnamese, like, um, he didn't say Son La, Son La was the next town up, but I was like, I was like, I had something, said something, I learned a little bit of Vietnamese while I was over there. I said, yes, like Son La, Sapa, like pretty much just saying going North. And sure enough, the next thing I know, he's waving me and I'm like, I don't know what's going on, but okay. So turned on the bike. I started going towards the water and they push up this long raft that's maybe... 10 feet long and I drive through the water like a foot deep. And the next thing I know I'm on this raft and there's four or five guys around me and they're in just the water. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Like in they're the, like in the water. floating in the water. Yeah. yeah. Having a blast. Yeah. Having a fucking blast. They're just laughing at me. <laughs> I had my full face helmet on, but they knew I was white. And, um, and the next thing you know, they're pushing off and uh, on one of the videos you Telepack is the guy's got a huge kind of like a one of those huge sticks if you're yeah. in like this south and a lap and you're pushing the water 
and we're floating across and people are coming from the people from the north that wanted to come down south they're coming on the opposite kind of rafts on the other side and they're kind of coming by me laughing taking pictures of this american i'm pulling out my phone i, I gotta i gotta take some photos take some videos yeah big time ne- yeah next thing you know like this guy is that's holding the front of the raft he's it, the water's probably five or six feet deep his head is just barely above the water <laughs> and and it's sure so murky not- as hell. Like this is oh god, wild. yeah. Like, you yeah. couldn't pay me to get in this. No, it is dirt, no. McGirt. And I, I don't yeah. know what I was doing, but uh, sure enough, like I got towards the other side, and I was like, "Holy crap!" Um, <laughs> but I'm starting to get off the raft and turn on the bike. The guy kind of looks at me. He's like, he's kind of holding me back. I'm like, no, 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 no. I see some cops on the other side, and I'm like, oh boy. Oh, this no. could be bad because in certain parts you're known to get haggled for yeah. quite a bit of money. And in the worst case scenario, people just, the cops taking your bike. Um, so they're asking me for them for some money. And I'm saying like, no, I don't really have any, but at the exact same time, I'm so thankful. Uh, Cause he's asking me for, what did he say? A jar um, of peanut butter. Yeah. Right. <laughs> he said something, he wanted like 300,000 Vietnamese dong. And I had learned the number system for yeah. buying food and yeah. asking for th- how much things cost. And I said, no, 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 I don't have that. Yeah. And whenever you're traveling over there in some of those places, you never have a wallet with more than a certain amount of them. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. Yeah. If people see it, they're going to ask for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, no, 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 no. So like I said, um, a hundred thousand Vietnamese dong, which I think equated to like, I don't know. It was between like six or eight bucks. Oh, okay. And uh, I was like, "This is all I have," and I gave it to the guy. And the cop surprisingly didn't say anything. This was the guy, the the four guys that pushed me across the. Yeah, the float. Yeah. Yeah, the float, and like I gave it to the guys, and the the cop had asked these guys like, "How much did you get?" And the guys were saying like a hundred thousand. And next thing you know, that was okay. Turned on the bike and just went north. Oh, get the hell out of there! Get the hell out of there! Uh, But sure enough, like I didn't send it to you but that day it turns out this happened literally happens to me again (gasps) maybe uh 100 kilometers up the road and you know i was i was thanking every god that i knew i was saying prayers after this first instance yeah and you know nobody was able to get through this there was a huge line of traffic coming from the opposite direction and they had no idea what was going on yeah uh but you know an hour later this happens to me again but in this case, there was kind of like a huge lifted, um, not like a dump truck, mm-hmm. but a guy that was like four feet off the ground. And I had seen, there was a couple of their Vietnamese guys that were lifting their bikes, mm-hmm. their motorized bikes and, and putting them on the back of this truck bed. And so, like I said, like push, like I was pushing through, like, get me on here, get me on here, get me on here. Because now I'm kind of like stuck in between these two waters. Like I had to do it. You got to go. Um, I got to go. So I, I, next thing, you know, I, I'm up on this other vehicle and we're driving across this, this road and to the left in the video, you can see there's like another uh, car that had kind of tipped over and it was capsized on the side of the road in the water that was almost like submerged. Oh my and, God. Uh, we get off and I gave the guys like another hundred thousand, the same that I had given them on, yeah. uh, previously. And, uh, the weather after that cleared up and was amazing. I was originally just going to drive like two or three hours that day, but yeah. I was just so thankful and just, 
amazed that I ended up just driving all the way up north. It ended up being like an eight-hour day on the bike. And there's a place. Must have been sore. Yeah, it was. It was. It was knackered. But uh, ended up being in this this popular touristy place called uh, Sapa S A P A, Mm. um, in this 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 village. And yeah, it was it was a it was a funny fun experience. (laughs) Damn. Um, All right, Michelle in Florida would like to know: Did you have any problems when you were traveling? Which kind of circles into the cops a minute ago. But did you have any other issues? Because you traveled quite extensively, and I mean, I know you were nervous, but were there any issues that you ran into? No. um, I mean, there was definitely some odd things along the way, Mm -hmm. Um, like being in Thailand and going down south and being on a bus Mm -hmm. and just. having to get off like three or four times mm. and changing buses and all that kind of stuff. And you're just not knowing what's going on really. Mm-hmm. Um, but you knew you were kind of heading in the right direction. Um, one or two little accidents while driving the motorbike um, that kind of one, one that was a, an issue because I was, I was, I was up North and in, I, Vietnam. I, in Vietnam, but I knew that, it's crazy. Anybody over there can work on a motorbike. Of course. Like you just, you, if there's a small village, like you can just pull over for the most part. And you know, the, the guy that works at the house, the house there, he knows how to fix up a motorbike. Mm-hmm. Um, there wasn't any huge problems. Uh, and I was with, like, like as we mentioned earlier, there's so many good people out there. And if, mm-hmm. you know, if you're, if you're staying sometimes at hostels or if you're talking with folks, um, mm-hmm. you're going to be all right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You used to see the safe. good in people and not be yeah, scared. Absolutely. And yeah, absolutely. Yep. Paula in London. We have somebody from London. Paula Yay. in London asked, what I was London? Me too. What was the most adventurous thing you ate while traveling? I mean, you ate snails, but I'm sure there was something else that you ate that was adventurous. Yeah. I don't even, I, yeah. Snails weren't even adventurous to me. That was just delicious yeah. food. And, and every time you tell people, they're like, ew, like, but Mm-mm. you just got to no, try they're them. They're good. Yeah. A little um, chewy. They're good. Yeah. Kind of like clams. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, oh, Cambodia. There was, uh, there was a, a little cafe that I had frequented and there was this nice Cambodian kid that spoke a little bit of broken English and he was helping me out each morning with some of the, the food. Mm-hmm. And I'd been back there a couple of times and I'd one night I'd offer him to, to take him out to dinner and to, to bring his, his wife and his kid, if he wanted to come mm-hmm. or if they wanted to come. And sure enough, uh, he was a little hesitant the first couple of times. Then he took, uh, took me up on it and I said, you know, order anything you want. And mm-hmm. he ordered, I'd seen him quite a bit. It's a popular delicacy over there and in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm probably not pronouncing it right, but it's called Belu or Belut. It's okay. a B-E-L-U-T, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, it's a fertilized um, duck embryo. Oh, I've Sorry. seen yeah, like, I, this. I, you I ate wanna, it? Like, yeah, so I didn't really know what I'd seen them so so often. And oh. it was a popular street food. <laughs> yeah. And they say, like, they have, like, a, like most things in life, they're like, hey, it's good for hangovers. You know, it's mm-hmm. antioxidants, so all this kind of stuff. This one, they say it's nice hangovers and whatnot but anywho you would see these people steam them and mm-hmm. then see people in the morning pull off on the side of the road or whatnot and have these egg stalls and i thought it was just maybe just eggs but the next thing you know he was like i was like what do you do he's like get the egg you crack the top of it 
and you have this little spoon and you're scooping it out and you sometimes they have wine, they have a little bit of salt um, yeah. and some herbs they're served with. And next thing you know, you're putting this thing in your mouth. And I didn't know what I was eating until kind of like halfway through. And I was like, oh boy, uh, <laughs> yeah, this is different. Um, but a totally like fun experience. I don't know if I'd, I'd do it. Uh, no. I'd do it again for sure. But um, okay. right. I, 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 it wouldn't be a, one of those staple cuisines, you know, it wouldn't be like I'd get up in the morning or like I'm go back to this country. Like, this I'm going to get duck embryo. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was one. And then a quick side one was a yeah. Taiwanese street food that people can't stand. Most people, except Taiwanese people. Mm. Um, it's uh, just stinky tofu. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah you can literally be walking like a block away from this market and this thing will hit, hit you. Yeah. Yeah. Like durian. Was, yeah. Oh, durian's great. Yeah. But durian's uh, forbidden in a lot of places. Yeah, well, it's so stinky. Um, it's stinky, but surprising in Singapore, they have durian McFlurries. I know um, it's a thing. Yeah. It's fun. It's fun. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't do it for me. I, I'm willing to eat a lot of things. Durian. Durian. Yeah. No. Um, Marissa in New Hampshire asks, what is the place you feel felt most comfortable and was like, wow, I could live here? I know. Again, like um, choosing a favorite child, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, I had a hard time because there was a lot of, like, anytime that happened to me, I felt like, oh man, like, if, this did it to me like in this northern part of japan or whatever like mm -hmm. what what else is out there mm -hmm. like there's got to be some another place like this or like there's got to be more and there's yeah. more i can learn from those people so i'd say there was more places i was like meh i'm okay mm -hmm. here like i don't i don't really need to i don't really need to stay here that much longer or um or do much um but parts of Parts of Greece were absolutely fantastic, um, mm. and the the food was was wonderful and fresh and different. Um, there was a lot of lot of places. I, I there was a couple of times on my trip that I thought I was going to stay for quite extended extended period of time. Um, definitely parts of Vietnam, uh, southern Cambodia. Greece, you liked Cambo a lot. Uh, Cambodia. Taiwan. You liked a lot. Taiwan was fantastic. Yeah. Um, and even like the northern part of uh, the UK, mm. like there was like this quiet surrealness, yeah. even though, you know, it's very wet and dark, but the green and the rolling hills and the sheep, oh. and the sheep just looked so happy there. I mean, yeah, know, the hairy coos in Scotland, yeah. I know. Oh my God. How does the sheep look happy, fun. but they just look happy up there. Yeah, I know. Um, they do. So yeah, there was a lot of places that I thought I could, you know, there was, I was like, yeah, I could stay here for a good amount of time. Yeah. Um, but in all those, you can't pick one. And yeah. also what it made me realize is um, looking back about how beautiful the U S is too. Mm, that's poetic. And, and what people don't, it's very hard to do, especially in mm -hmm. places, let's say like where you're Boston or mm -hmm. San Francisco or mm -hmm. LA or wherever, where the culture is just so fast and ADD. Mm -hmm. Um, it's truly, truly hard to realize where you're at mm -hmm. and realize like what we have here and in the surrounding area mm -hmm. um, that like, wow, it's, these are beautiful places um, mm -hmm. as yeah. well. So um, there is, there's something to be said about, you know, wherever you are and thinking about uh, the places that you have close, close to you, I think as well. Yeah. That's really, really well said. So 
One thing that you've mentioned before, and I just mm -hmm. want to know for my own personal reason, why do you love getting haircuts when you're traveling? <laughs> you do. You love uh, getting a good haircut when you're trying. Some places I, are better than others. You yeah. have had some fails. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, uh, I, I, I most of them involve supercuts here in the United States of America. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's just the two ones I put. Um, yeah. I don't know. It was, I don't know if it's like one of those things that, I don't know if he's like, maybe that's one of those cultural things that there's something about, let's say, haircuts and a conversation when you're you're in uh -huh. the u.s like there's a there's a cultural aspect between like going to a barber you know checking with this guy getting your haircut yep, yep. seeing how life is going and whatnot yep. and then um you know while traveling like a lot of people yeah like they're okay with growing out their hair or whatnot but after, after a while like i just got to get my haircut and i don't really care about necessarily how i look when i'm over there that much like i knew like my hair is going to grow back for the most part um and just kind of the interaction of like a foreign interaction because a lot of these places it's a different language and um they're cheap uh and it's just kind of like relinquishing something that you can't really control but you're like hey this is gonna totally. it's gonna come back it's totally. not like getting it you know i'm not relinquishing my arm to a tattoo and it's gonna go away right um but uh and just how these places were set up, you know, minimal bare bones, people wheeling, wheeling down their, their chair mid morning or setting up their station by hanging a mirror on the tree or something. Crazy. And, yeah. um, you know, people calling you out in the middle of the street saying you, you need a haircut, you want a haircut. And it's like, I oh, wait, do I need a haircut? Do I, do I need to come over there? <laughs> um, and also like, there's all these people around the world, they, it's just like, cooks like they maybe they, they cook a little bit differently they cut hair differently so like the people in the southeast asia they they're not used to the way like the hair in america grows or like just mm -hmm. i don't know i don't know how to put it uh, well, the you style also of it. style it right like it's longer on yeah. top it's shorter on the sides you've got like a cool yeah pompadour or the way that it just the way that it just kind of grows it's, yeah. it's it's completely different so like they cut, cut hair completely different than people in Armenia or like Turkey and they're like really into hair. They're really into fashion. Um, so it was always kind of fascinating to see like how they would cut your hair or how quick you'd be in and out of there um, while doing it. And it was just kind of something fun and, and just completely different. Mm -hmm. You know, it yeah. wasn't, wasn't something you could, uh, I thought a lot of those things were overrated, like trip advisor stuff, lonely planet. I never paid attention to any of those things no. um, going because there were so many, there was better experiences I felt just walking around and talking with people uh, in the town than paying for stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and this was something frivolous and fun, completely different. That, I love uh, it. I got some, I was, well, yeah. and you said, I, I'm pretty sure I'm getting this right, that one of your favorites was in Germany, which I would imagine they would be a very, it would be a very structured haircut. Yep. yep. Germany and Armenia were, uh, were great. Um, That's awesome. And it was, yeah, it was something that was pretty, it was pretty fun doing. So traveling the way that you traveled, especially during this last trip, what has traveling alone taught you? It, it, it's, yeah, it's taught me a lot about family. Mm. Um, a lot of the parts of Southeast Asia, they spend a large portion of time with family um, in and around them. And it's taught me a lot about that. 
uh, and just and like how you treasure your family in that sense. How you tre- yeah, treasure your family, how mm-hmm. you interact and talk with them, um, mm-hmm. staying in touch. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of a lot of those cultures over there, and other other than Europe, you know, the, the younger generations will, you know, go away, do whatever they can, send money back, um, try to make means, um, and how much time they spend with each other, uh, was huge. Mm-hmm. And it taught me a lot about that and staying connected with, with family members, mm-hmm. uh, relationships it, and taught me about, like, just also like we were just mentioned how big the U S is and to be appreciative to what we have here in access and, and, uh, the ability to see, um, and the, and the regionalities to it, like, you know, the state of California or a lot of, floor or whatever it's they're so big yeah and they're so diverse from the north to the south 100 just like just like some of these countries are in regionalities of food and whatnot mm-hmm. so sometimes just slowing down and thinking about you know what we have access to and what we can learn from different uh culture aspects in our um in our society and not say to have a viewpoint or to be staunch about something but just to listen um and just being able to absorb different forms of information and, be, and to hopefully to become better or more well-rounded so uh, you can carry it with you. Mm, no, that's really well said. Now I want to switch gears for a second. People Uh-oh. don't know this necessarily. And I know this because I follow mm-hmm. you on Instagram. But for those who don't follow Joe on Instagram, you are an incredible baker. You are oh, also, I know. I don't know if I take also, incredible. You are. No, no, no. You are. Take it. No. Take it. Take the compliment. And you're just a really good home cook and you're adventurous in your kitchen. Hmm. I am always looking for a little more baking confidence. What mm-hmm. do you have any tips for people like me who want to bake better or especially bread, like your bread is phenomenal. <laughs> and like you are, uh, you like when it comes to fermentation and things, I mean, yeah. you were brewing for a long time and you're still mm. involved in the fermenting world, but there's something about yeast and you, man, that go hand in hand and you get it. You, you're this nice, beautiful, symbiotic, yeah. blah, blah, blah. I, I guess it's it, like most things, unfortunately, it's just practice. Um, not unfortunately, but you know, just uh yeah spending time with it but i think i think temperature is is a huge mm, thing mm-hmm. in in fermentation uh world and that's mm-hmm, i think mm-hmm. it's very it goes across things you know i have a lot of similarities i feel like there's in bread wine beer yeah um distilling and being very observant mm. you know and 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 observant slowing down and, and touching stuff like, I like that. Just really like feeling how, you know, the dough feels, uh, how the mix feels. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, don't be think, scared to get your hands dirty. Don't use that don't, kitchen don't, mixer. Get your hands dirty. Yeah. And um, seeing how, 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 yeah, how stuff is fermenting, how rising. And usually there's a lot of factors in that, but that a huge part of it is making your yeast happy making sure they're happy that like they had the right food supply, but also they're, they're warm and um, they're at the right, right temperature. So just paying attention to like, you know, 
it doesn't have to be like getting that necessarily the thermometer out and sticking in your dough or, you know, walking around your kitchen seeing where a warm spot, warm spot is, but just, I don't know, mental notes be like, oh man, it's, I was baking this morning and it's cold and I was wearing sweatpants and a sweatshirt. And then like, you know, you bake your loaf the next two days later and you're like, oh man, there's no rise on this. It's like, yeah. well, the knees weren't the knees happy. Probably, yeah, the yeah. knees probably weren't happy. They want the to same thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They need to be a little warmer. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I guess just being yeah, really observant and, and just seeing like, there's a lot of similarities between baking and I think a lot of other things, cooking and um, mm-hmm. beer, wine and whatnot. So yeah, for sure. Now, speaking of cooking, what are you making right now in your home kitchen? Uh, go back real quick. Uh, yeah. Also, st- start out with the basics. St- okay, start. Like, oh, we're still people- on bacon. All right, keep. Let's yeah. keep going. Yep. M- many people just want to jump right in, and like that whole quarantine, people are like sourdough, sourdough, sourdough. Yeah, like I was big. Get just get some instant yeast and make a couple straight up sandwich loaves, and okay. you're gonna do great. They're gonna be great, and just get that down, or just seeing how it feels and reacts first. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. And yeah, go there. Um, and then I guess what am I doing these days? Yeah. Uh, yeah, some a lot. Yeah, some some dough like items, um, banh mi stuff, pizzas. Mm-hmm. Uh, doing. Uh, Are you making any? Do you ever try to recreate some of the food that you had in your travels now that you're back home? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, Bon mi's for sure, mm-hmm. um, because there's a whole different. They approach bon mi and the baking of that bread a lot different than they do um, for the most part. A lot of different breads that we have here in the states. Mm. So I try to replicating that um, noodles for sure. Um, and then one recently that I've wanted to get back into. It's a it's a rice wine out of. Korea. I forget about it from time to time. And then it, it gets brought up back, back up, but a, a drink called Macaulay. Mm. And it's, it's a fascinating um, beverage that it's, it's wonderful in the way that it's fermented, the way it tastes. And then the, what you do around this beverage um, as far as like eating food with it and uh, being with, being with people. Um, but I try, I try to incorporate travel stuff or places from different areas in cooking because I feel like that's what takes you certain yeah, areas. Sure. Yeah. And it um, brings you right back too, which gives you that beautiful memory. Absolutely. Um, and it just also makes you, you know, go down different tunnels and learn about maybe a culture a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, and food items. You're like, well, you know, why does this dish have, uh, why does this dish have different, different kind of ingredients or why are they mm-hmm. only using this? It's like, Oh, well, they only have access to this in this certain area. Yeah, totally. Um, totally. So that, I love that. Uh, it, I mean, just eggs, like they have, there's a lot of stuff you can do with eggs and sometimes people in the States will just fry them or scramble them, but steaming eggs in like the Chinese culture is, is wonderful. Mm-hmm. So just doing like a custardy steamed egg, um, in a bowl in the oven and serving it differently uh, mm-hmm. is good way to just change things up. Well, maybe um, later you can send me a couple of your favorite online recipes of maybe some mm. of your food travels and I can post them on the show notes. So people yeah. could try to experiment at home and go on their own food adventure. 
Yeah, I'd love to okay, do that. Cool. It'd be fun. Awesome. Awesome. So my friend, I have one last question for you. Ooh, let's Oof. do it. All right. If COVID wasn't a thing and you had buckets and buckets and endless amounts of money, where would you go and what would you eat? Oh boy. I feel, <laughs> um, hmm. I think I'd maybe just go over to the next town over, maybe Berkeley and learn how to play the piano somewhere. <laughs> um, I've always wanted to play the piano if I had money to do that and that'd be right? wonderful. Okay. Um, but no, I guess it would be, um, I'd, I've been reading a lot about Mexico again recently. I wasn't mm-hmm. done, done Mexico as a kid um, in different uh, subregions, uh, whether it be Mexico City, um, Oaxaca. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, the Yucatan. Coast again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the and food's what, so different from place to place too in Mexico. Yeah. What they're doing down there now and has probably been doing for a long, long time uh, seems really cool. Um, and the cultures that they have down there and the influx of, you know, different people that are going down there and experimenting and trying to do certain stuff with cereal grains, you know, corns, um, heirloom varieties. There's a huge burgeoning wine industry down there for mm-hmm. a long time. Mezcal is huge. Not, huge. not a whole lot of people try and mezcal, um, or it's becoming much more prominent now mm-hmm. actually, but there's a huge variations of how mezcal is produced. That is awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I'd be, probably be going down a, to Mexico. There's a lot of places in Europe I'd like to go back to, but I think Mexico would be next up on the docket. Excellent. I want to go too. Yeah. I'm coming with you. Tequila okay. for everybody. Well, my Tequila. friend, I can't <laughs> thank you enough for doing this. It was it so, came. so, so good to see you. And I love you so much. Like you right back at you. And, and I, um, yeah, if people want to, if they have any more questions, because there's, there's a lot of stuff. Uh, I know we could sit here I and still, talk for days. I know. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, if they want to reach out, please, yeah. please do so. I'd, I'd be happy to talk without more about my experiences on anything, Excellent. Uh, like food items, traveling. We're going to have so. to, I think this might be a part two. We'll just have to do this again. Wonderful. We can focus a different area maybe. All right. So <laughs> well, I love you, buddy. I'll see you soon. All right. Love you too. Thanks so right. much, Beth. Bye. Oh man. <laughs> I say this at the end of everyone. I just, Joe, thank you so much. I felt like I was traveling along there with you while you were telling all of your stories. And right now I need that more than anything because I miss being out in the world and meeting new people, eating new food and having my food adventures. So thank you again, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your questions. Keep them coming. Please send them to letsgoonafoodadventure at gmail.com. Check out my website for all of the show notes, elizabethrfuller.com, and tag me on all of your Instagram food adventures at Let's Go On a Food Adventure. I'll see you guys next Friday. Be safe, lead with kindness, and I'll see you next week. Bye!